Hi, this is Jesse Pruitt, and you are on Faith's Edge with the amazing, talented Joe Taylor. Comedy is like a vehicle, you know, and I think once you get to the point where you can be peaceful with that, uh, God really rewards you with more opportunities to do your thing. Well, hello. Thanks, Jesse Pruitt, for the introduction. You're pretty amazing yourself, my friend. Jesse is a multi-talented singer-songwriter, actor, and worship leader. You can hear our great conversation about acting, music, and his latest project, The Journey, at onfaithsedge.com slash 98. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 98. Welcome to the 99th episode of On Faith's Edge. My name is Joe Taylor, recovering atheist and your servant in Jesus Christ. This is your place to hear conversations about God and living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to contact me, I'm most active on Twitter at at 4JoeTaylor. That's at 4JoeTaylor, F-O-R-J-O-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Coming up, I am joined by comedian Rick Roberts, and we'll talk about the art and business of comedy. Great conversation. I love bringing you engaging conversations about faith. And many of you have asked about how you can support the show. You can do that right now by using any Amazon link at onfaithsedge.com. We'll get a modest commission from the purchase, but it doesn't cost you a penny more. Rick Roberts' comedy is 100% clean and family-friendly. For over 20 years, he's headlined across the U.S. and abroad while appearing on award-winning shows such as Bananas Comedy Show, which features the nation's top clean comedians. His work has appeared on Sirius XM's Laugh USA and Blue Collar Radio Channels, CMT's 20 Greatest Redneck Moments, and Great American Country. Rick is a member of the National Speakers Association and a board member of the Christian Comedy Association. On top of all of that, Rick teaches comedy and writing workshops and the business of comedy across the country and online through his School of Laughs at schooloflaughs.com. Most importantly, Rick is a proud father of two, and happy husband. Rick and I got to hang out a bit at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention recently in Nashville. We ate some yogurt and recorded this conversation. We'll talk about his latest project, Thinking Out Loud, uh, available right now, what it takes to be a comedian, and here's a hint, it's more than thinking you're funny. We discuss how he intertwines his faith when he performs at bars and clubs, his path away from God, and how he reconnects with God now. That moment when he prayed for direction and the incredible answer he received. And did comedian Darren Streblo steal from Rick to buy Herbalife? But they're good kids. They, they grow up fast. You know that, too, if you're a parent. You know, my 12-year-old seems like he was 11 just last year. It's just uh, <laughs> mind-blowing. My Kentucky math is right on the money right there, wasn't it? Yeah, I wasn't prepared for any of it. You know, sometimes they say scary stuff. Sometimes your kids will say something, you're like, where did they get that? Like one night, I'm tucking my boy into bed. I'm like, hey, buddy, hope you have sweet dreams. He looks up and goes, I hope you're still breathing when I wake up in the morning. (laughs) I'm like, what do you know that I don't know? (laughs) Mama, switching my pills when I'm gone? What's going on? (laughs) I was awake the next morning. I didn't sleep a wink. And for every scary thing they say, they say something funny, but you can't always laugh because it's not always the right kind of funny. Does that make any sense? Like one night we're brushing our teeth before we go to bed, and he's looking in the mirror at him for a while. Then I see him look over at me, then he looks back at himself, then back at me. I said, what's the matter, buddy? He's like, Papa, I just noticed me and you, we kind of look alike. I'm like, yeah, what do you think about that? He goes, what are you going to (laughs) do? 
well, you're probably not going to prom. <laughs> all right, I'm going to close your door all the way tonight and hope you're still breathing when I wake up in the morning. President of the Christian Comedy Association, Rick Roberts. Dude, who'd you have to pay off for that gig? Well, what you have to do is be asleep when they call roll call. It's one of those deals where they say, we got any volunteers? And everybody step backwards. And I'm like, how am I the front runner for this? <laughs> I literally was a board member who gave... It was it was even worse. The guy who was supposed to probably get it, uh, his car was late or something. And we get to the the current president's house, and I'm just there, just kind of hanging out, putting my two cents in there. And then the other guy didn't show up for his vice presidential nomination, and they're like, "Well, we need to nominate somebody." So they, the way we work, we do two years as VP, so we learn the ropes. Two years as president, uh-huh. and then we hang on and help the other guys come through. So it really was totally unexpected. In fact, the guy who became president. Uh, at first, I don't think wanted me to be the vice president because he didn't know me at anything, and all of a sudden I was going to be his right hand man. So there we were, and we rode back together from the meeting. He's like, "Well, I guess this is it, huh?" What does the president of the Christian Comedy Association? Are you the guy that has to put the snake in the cans, or yes, I've got a guy that's got to do everything. Uh, the majority of the time, I'd say ninety five percent of it is, is planning our annual conference. Okay, and that's um, pretty big. I mean, I, I don't know. Every conference, this is a huge conference here, um, but every conference has its different size. But we've grown um, big steps and leaps and bounds over the past few years. Last year, our conference, we had 175 in attendance. And uh, this year, we're pushing for that again. But that was up like by 30% last year over the previous. So it's finding the, the church that can host it, that has the space, that has the staff that's willing to come on and help out and run the AV and working out the budget and then promoting it and putting on the websites. It's been a lot of work, but it's been re- really rewarding. It's certainly, I, I'll bet it has, I can tell. The, the venue itself, uh, the, the, this conference is coming up in June. Yeah, is June it, is, 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Right? Okay, and where is it being held? It's at Oasis Church, just south of Nashville. It's still in the Nashville uh, zip codes, but it's Nolensville area, if you know the, the Nashville area. And Oasis Church hosted on Sunday night, June 3rd. We have a huge comedy showcase where there'll be somewhere between 15 and 17 Christian comics hitting the stage, some of our best of the best to kind of let everybody know what we're about. And uh, that also raises some money for the church. And we'll probably partner and do some kind of outreach that weekend as well. How many, you said uh, 175 comedians? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I mean, uh, so we have a majority from that are new and aspiring and developing. You know, I. Don't know the hard numbers on it, but we probably have thirty plus that are full time, or a majority of their time is out doing comedy. What will an aspiring Christian comedian get from this conference? Oh man, it's it's interesting because we've had people walk in who have only seen Christian comics appear on TV or maybe at their church, but have never even been to an open mic night to try any comedy yet. So we're talking even pre-pre-comedy stages where they're just curious about what's going on. So for that person, it's a real eye-opener as far as, you know, in the breakout sessions we talk about where you start, how you stay clean and Christian, even though you're doing shows at bars half the time because bars are putting on the open mics to sell beer. Right. Uh, But there's not a lot of churches that are putting on open mics to sell anything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) coffee. Some some churches have coffee houses, but... (laughs) But you really need a lot of reps. Hand out tracks. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Hand out tracks, maybe uh, some communion wine or something. <laughs> but they have to have a place to develop their comedy, so a lot of times that is a bar or a comedy club where the, most of the comics around you are pretty crude. 
and uh, it's a struggle for some when they first start to navigate those waters. And so we give them some tools to do that. Uh, lots of different things go on, for the, especially for the new people there. And we actually have performances scheduled throughout the day in the breakout rooms where they can get up and do two or three minutes and have veterans, veteran comedians, give them feedback and show them, you know, hey, that was good, do more of that, cut this out and make it tighter. That's priceless, man. It's really cool. Literally priceless because to hire somebody to come and critique you and give you tips uh, privately, mm-hmm. you do that through the School of Laughs. To have some, to have expert comedians, well-known Christian comedians to critique your act if you're brave enough and that's the key isn't yeah, it? yeah if you're if you're brave enough because i'm sure these guys don't pull punches no in fact i think this year we might do a a mild hot and spicy room like three different rooms so how do you like your feedback mild <laughs> hot or spicy because uh i've been told uh that i've made people cry from feedback i gave them that i don't even remember giving them you know it's three or four years ago but people came up to me last year like you know first time i met you i thought you were a real jerk because i went up and did my comedy thing and you told me what what I did wrong, and that's all I heard is what I did wrong. But now, three or four years later, I realize you're just trying to give me the facts. Right. So even in your best uh, attempt at giving somebody some positive feedback, sometimes they take it the wrong way. You, you know, it's funny when it comes to feedback, that, that, that kind of thing, is if you, if, you, if you want somebody to be efficient, and you have to be efficient in these moments, mm-hmm. the critical feedback is the most important. The critical, and, and it hurts, mm-hmm. and it cuts, but it's what will help the most if you, if you receive it. Do you find that true? Yes. Uh, in fact, when, when I teach classes here in Nashville, um, I tell the people when, we, when we're giving you feedback, you can't even talk. All you can do is sit there and listen to the feedback. You can record it on your phone if you want, so you can go back the next day and listen to it without being all juiced up from just getting off the stage. But you can't defend yourself. We're just telling you what we saw. And as a performer... I would love for every audience I perform for to be able to give me 300 different points of view. A thousand, you know, every, everybody could tell me exactly what they heard. I could fix the jokes that aren't working. And that's what these new people are getting right out of the gate. And sometimes it's tough because it's hard to separate the judgment from you as opposed to the judgment of your act. And so that's the first thing I try to teach my students is, hey, every time you're on stage, it's an experiment. You're just presenting jokes. It's like a laboratory experiment. If you get any feedback... That's positive, whether it's negative feedback or constructive criticism, because now you know how to take the experiment and manipulate it further. So if you just look at the jokes as, hey, they're judging my jokes, not me, then you can get better a lot quicker. If you're always looking for you know, adoration from your, your audience and trying to please them, you're going to not take as many chances, not develop, because you're always playing it safe. Right. You know, and that's a hard... I, I say that now. It, it took me probably 10 years to get to the point where... I could just look at my jokes as experiments. You've been doing comedy for how long? Uh, since 1991, the year of our Lord. <laughs> More than half my life. Yeah, I'm 49 and uh, started when I was really about 21, 22 years old. This may not be a fair question to the president of the Christian Comedy Association, but who did you have as your early mentors or who had the most impact on your comedy career? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, what that, I mean by not 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 somebody that inspired you that you saw on TV, mm-hmm. but somebody that that worked personally with you. Darren Streblo, for example, uh, was on the show uh, uh, about a month or so ago, and he he credits um, Brad Stein for having a big impact on on his career, kind of mentoring mm-hmm. him. Do you have a similar? I don't. You know, that's probably why it took me a little little while to get going. So when I first started. It was just a pool of us that were all about the same, you know. 
there were, there were a couple of comics headliners I'd work with. So for a weekend, you would get some of their advice, some of their feedback on some things. It's funny for me, probably the most constructive criticism I got is when I started performing at uh, like corporate events and I would do shows where I thought they went well. And then I would get the feedback from the event planner and they're like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Cause they were the first people that they weren't involved in my day to day, you know, like the fellow comics I worked with. So they weren't afraid of offending me or even helping me. And so some of the best advice I ever got were from those folks, folks I just worked with one time. Right. You know, like for, for example, like, um, I used to do a joke where I did a little bit of line dancing at the end of the joke, kind of acted out. And it, Are you a good line dancer? No, and that was, the purpose, <laughs> that was the whole purpose of the joke. It's like, if I remember right, the joke was something like, you ever try to go line dancing? That's like redneck twister and I'm out of, <laughs> and the spinner's stuck on blue or something. It was, and then I would act it out, like, you know, three steps this way and I would get stuck. Um, and I would use it, and 99% of the time I would get a laugh. And so I put that on my demo tape, sent it out. This one corporate event planner got back to me. She's like, I think we would hire you but we don't like all those pelvic thrusts you're doing in the middle of your show. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, she must have saw somebody else's tape and then sent me the letter. I'm like, and so I called her up, like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're up there gyrating, like Elvis. Gyrating. And I'm like, you talking about the, the, the line dance what, thing? Yeah. When's the last time the word gyrating was used? 1964? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Buddy Holly may have said it, and that was it. And so just like little things like that, event planners would tell me, um, there was one comic... Uh, Damian Mason, who does mostly corporate speaking more than comedy now, but he helped fine-tune a few things for me offstage-wise. Uh, sometimes I'd show up to the event, and I'd be in my travel clothes, and he would uh, be at the same event, and he would kind of take me aside and go, man, you can't be showing up in camouflage pants and an old ripped-up OSU sweater and a hat. This is a client who's pay, paying you good money to be here. Oh. You need to look, the, you know, look professional when you walk in the hotel. So little things like that I got from guys and gals over the years. Gotcha. You know, but it's still pieces of information here and there that kind of mold everything. But I never had like one person who like side by side or I never went on the road with any comics for an extended period of time. That would have been helpful. Yeah. The good thing about the uh, Christian Comedy Association is we do really help out the new folks. If they've got 15 minutes and they can open a show, we find them and bring them on. And so that's a big thing we're doing now that probably didn't happen as much back in the day. So you didn't, you didn't have... How long has the Christian Comedy Association been around? If I'm right, it started around 2000. Okay, so you didn't have that when you first started. You didn't have that support. Mm-mm. You've always been clean? Yeah, more or less. I think when I first started, I had a couple of words here and there. Yeah. And it was funny. The audience never laughed when I used those words. Huh. And so it was kind of a, you know, people talk about finding your comedic voice and how do you do that. Some of that responsibility is on the audience. They'll, they'll let you know what you're allowed to say. You know what I mean? Sure. I kind of look like a goofy, easygoing guy. So if I use language that wasn't in line with that, they'd be like, where'd that come from? You didn't need that. Right. And uh, so pretty early on, I dropped all that and thought, if I'm going to do it, every time I hit the stage, I want to be clean enough to where if somebody saw me that wanted to hire me to do a TV spot or if I was going to do an audition, I wouldn't have to change anything. You know, and even content wise, you can be clean, but still have questionable content. Sure. And so over the years, I'd. Uh, dropped a few pieces here and there that I thought, eh, it's kind of a cheap, easy laugh, even though it's clean. Right. I can move on from that. So, yeah, there's a there's a difference between clean and just not cussing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can you can you can decide not to use curse words and it stills not clean. Right. In fact, I even draw the line. I mean, there's some Christian comics who 
people rattle off a list of 100 words that sounds like you're cussing. And I'm like, well, if you're making me think of the swearing word, <laughs> then you're still bringing me to that same place mentally. Right. So even right. though it's funny and it's clean, eh, it's okay for you, but I wouldn't do it. You know, Jeff Allen, who was uh, one of my early guests, actually, he started off as kind of a raunchy mm-hmm. comedian. And then I don't know if he, if his comedy changed. Like you said, the audience kind of told him what to change or, or when he came to faith, he changed. But if you go back and listen to his early stuff, it's not nearly as funny as God bless you, Jeff. I love you, brother. Uh, but it's not nearly as funny as his stuff today. Yeah. man. Well, uh, he's really good. I mean, I, I, every time I see him, he's gotten new material and his, his pace is incredible. Right. I mean, he's hitting laugh after laugh after laugh. He's really, uh, the economy of words is like a real focus for him. You know, he gets right to the point. How does a comedian do that? Can that can that be taught? The reason I ask is you have a you have a program, you have a podcast, you have instructional videos. You teach comics how to be funny and how to work the business mm-hmm. of comedy. Can that can it really be taught, man? Yeah. Can fact, can can, it, can you teach somebody to be funny? Yeah. Well, everybody has whatever they can bring to the table to start with, and I always look at it like seeds, like jokes are seeds. Some farmers have a thousand acres and they've got bushels and bushels of seeds they're going to plant and you need to bring more fresh seeds every year. You know, some people at attempt comedy have three seeds and one of them is kind of funny. And so we have to put a lot of sunshine on that, a lot of fertilizer on that, a lot of water to grow that one thing. So you do need to have a, uh, a creative spirit to where you're developing material and you're keeping an eye out for material. So uh, you know, in my class, I teach where to look for those things. Um, once you find an idea that could be funny, how you can shape it into a joke, the best way to test it out so that you don't set yourself up for failure. And then after you put it out there once, how you take the feedback from the audience and adjust it and tweak it. So as long as you come up with ideas, yeah, you can teach people how to make them funnier. But some people, just like athletes, are more, some are ath- more athletic than others. Sure. Some people are funnier than others. But I've definitely seen people come into my class that – on paper, I didn't think were that funny, you know? And then as they learned how to write jokes, they got funnier. And then as they got used to being confident on stage, delivering those jokes, their style became more loose and more fun, and they kind of, you know, developed from there. So, But it takes a lot of reps. But you know what? They show up. I, I can't tell you how many interviews of comedians that I've seen where they say, man, if you think I'm funny, you should see the, this guy, this kid I grew up with, mm-hmm. Bobby Jenkins. This guy could make, could make a stone laugh. Yeah. But you know the difference is Bobby Jenkins may have naturally been funny, but Rick Roberts stuck his neck out. Yeah. You, you gotta, he showed up. You got to do a lot of showing up. Yeah. You know, I was just going through uh, some files in my office the other day and found some of my early – I didn't have enough money to buy a calendar book, like a day runner thing. <laughs> So I'd buy a, a notebook at the store, and I would physically put in the calendar, like, you know. Write <laughs> it in. I mean, I wasn't that broke, but, man, a dollar. I could have spent a dollar. <laughs> but I was looking back to those things, and I put in, you know, how many days I was out, how many gigs I had, how much I got paid each day, week, month, all that kind of stuff. And my first full year of comedy in 91, I did something like 315 shows my first year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I look back, I'm like, I, I grew up. In Kentucky, but I started comedy in Columbus, Ohio. We had uh, two comedy clubs at the time that I started, and every night of the week you could go out and do stand-up as well at an open mic. So I could do seven shows a week as an amateur and get my material kind of put together. And Nashville, where I live now, is a, a city like that too. We've got open mics 
pretty much every night of the week if you want to go try something out. So if you want to get into comedy, you know, being in a city that has that kind of support and that kind of network is important, but you got to show up for it and get those jokes, get them tight. What can, uh, again, an aspiring comedian expect from Rick Roberts' School of Laughs? From the, the classes? From the classes, from the podcast, yeah. from the, the whole experience. I'd say um, start with the podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know how to find them. Uh, School of Last Podcast, I think we're like 163 episodes into it. Sometimes I'm one-on-one with a comedian, and we go through their career step-by-step and what what changed at different points to help them get where they are today. Sometimes I have my students on, uh, the one that released today. Uh, the students asked me questions after class, and I took that file home and then answered the questions in the podcast. And we talked about heckling, talked about when do you need an agent, talked about how to find your comedic voice. So the, the cool thing now on the website, it's totally searchable. So if you have one aspect of comedy you want to learn about, you can put that in the uh, search bar and find an episode about it or a blog post. The, the live classes I do, uh, we, each, we have a writing class that meets three times, a couple hours each time. And I give you all the techniques that I use to, to get a laugh that most comics use. There's at least 17 that I go over in the class, and there's more in the class materials. And then if they like that and they write some material they want to try out, we do a performance class where, again, we get up uh, three Mondays or Tuesdays or whatever it might be in a row. They get up for three minutes each time, and then they get about nine minutes of feedback from not only me but everybody else in the class, which I love that aspect of it because everybody in the class heard something different or had a different idea of what they could add to that comedian's joke. And so if they start off with three minutes, they'll probably walk out the door with five. You know, we'll, wow. we'll probably get rid of 90 seconds you don't need and then give you a bunch of ideas to build on for the next week. And then uh, people love all that. They can take the business class. It's a four-hour seminar I do two or three times a year. And they get all the information they need to know how much comics make, where they can make it what it's like in the church market. But that's pretty eye-opening, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, I, I recommend some people to take that first. <laughs> yeah. Because it's one afternoon, and you can kind of see, okay, is, is this something I want to pursue? And I kind of really lay it out, what it's going to take for you to get to each level. Uh, but also the different niches you could do. I do a lot of corporate and church work. There's people that work only on cruise ships. There's people that work as uh, audience warm-ups. You know, I do that as well here in Nashville for the Huckabee Show. Uh, but there's a lot of different places you can take comedy just besides the comedy club. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, I, and I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a nerd about it. I love, I love get into the details. Where is Christian comedy headed, do you think? You know, I think the best use in the direction that most of us are heading with it, and especially it's been the focus of our conference the past three or four years, is you know using it more for everybody else besides ourselves. You know, it seems like a, a natural thing a Christian would think of is to use comedy to bring more people to God and to Christ. But there's a lot of people, I think, that started Christian comedy because they thought, you know, it's a marketplace and there's not many comics in the marketplace. And I can go in there and make a few dollars and it's clean living and that's not bad. But I think the comics that started that still found a little emptiness that you would find if you were pursuing only comedy clubs because you're just serving yourself. Mm. And, you know, that's no matter how much you serve yourself, you always feel like you need to be served more. And the more you serve yourself, the least you focus on other people. So where Christian comedy seems to be headed now is where it should have been you know, all along. and has been in different, for different people. But as a group, we're trying to get people to think of, even when you're starting to, to do comedy for the first time, who does it benefit besides you? And so what that looks like is we've got people that do prison ministry. They go in and do comedy. Then they share their testimony. And that 
connects on a huge level. Uh, Michael Jr. has mm-hmm. a video out where I think where he did that whole thing and, and can show people what that's like. A lot of women's ministry events. A lot of um, you know, people are going through rehab. There's, there's comics that are in recovery themselves that do shows for those folks. Church outreach events where they want to get people in the door for the first time that haven't been to church. It's an easy way to ask your friend, hey, we've got a comedian at church on Saturday night. You want to come check it out? Right. Okay. Well, you know where it's at. You know where we're at now. We don't bite. <laughs> and neither do the snakes. <laughs> we didn't have snakes tonight, so come check out tomorrow and no see if we do. Nine. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Rick. But just other places where we can like let people know that comedy is a, like a vehicle, you know. And I think once you get to the point where you can be peaceful with that, uh, God really rewards you with more opportunities to do your thing. Who do you think we should watch? What Christian comedians right now that are in the marketplace that we should that you think? Hey, this guy is. This guy is on track. Yeah. Well, I know you've had Jeff Allen. Yeah. Darren Streblo is another one you should always keep an eye out for. Johnny W. is okay. a good one. He's here in Asheville with me. He does a lot of the church and youth events. Dustin Nickerson is, is on the West Coast. He's starting to come along pretty good. Sean Reynolds out of Lexington, Kentucky, somebody you might want to talk to down the road, uh, is, is really getting his stuff together. we got people kind of all over. A lot of people do Compassion International events. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I work with... New missions, they uh, build schools and churches down in Haiti. So just all kinds of people. You know, Shonda Pierce, of course, yeah. a lot of people know. You know yeah. Michael Jr., I think, is, is really making a name right now. I'm sure you've seen his stuff, right? He's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> He's hilarious. He's and got he a just, point. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've got a chance to work with him not too long ago, and his, his show's broken up into segments where he, he's funny, straight-ahead funny, then he does a little Q&A with the audience. And he shares the bigger picture, and it's pretty eye-opening what he's been able to do. We've talked about the school of laughs. We've talked about your. We've talked about your work with uh, up-and-coming comedians and the in the business itself. By the way, the school of laughs. I want to talk about your podcast, the school of laughs. We talked about it a second ago, but don't let the title keep you from. If you're not a comedian, don't let it keep you from listening to Rick's podcast because uh, I'm not a comedian. Uh, my wife thinks I'm trying to be. Um, <laughs> And, and it's funny whenever you're talking to a comedian, you always want. I'm going to give him my com- com- yeah. comedic side, but but uh, your your podcast definitely focused on comedians and, and comedy, but it has really good business advice, really good life advice, solid advice about how to develop yourself as a person, and develop your message, mm-hmm. and develop um, your niche. Well done, Rick. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. I've I've got. A pretty good percentage of listeners that don't do comedy, and yeah. and in fact, I even had some emails recently where the the guy was saying, you know, I never intended to do comedy at all. He goes, but the the business stuff you lay out on branding, you know, we talk about how to differentiate yourself from other people. He goes, that that applies to all business. Uh, he's a good kid, but I'm trying to keep him a kid as long as possible because once they then once they cross the line, they're gone, right? You know. I say, what do you want for Christmas coming up? He's like, oh, I need to get me an iPad Air 64 gigabytes with a built-in Wi-Fi plan. I'm like, well, you don't get one until I get one. (laughs) I said, something else. He goes, how about an iPhone? I'm like, dude, you're 12. You need to go outside and learn how to play with a stick. (laughs) That's what I did growing up. Get you a wireless stick and see how that works out. (laughs) 64 hickory nuts or something like that. So he went outside, got a stick. Five minutes later, I hear a scream, poked himself in the face. We had to get him an eye patch. <laughs> that joke easily divides the crowd. Some people like it. Some people like it. That's a long way to go for that one. 
We have a new CD coming out. Uh, yeah, it's uh, March 16th releases, and tomorrow, as we record this, tomorrow it uh, is going into pre-sale, and it's with a, a record label this time around instead of independent, so... You know, they've, they've got all my passwords right now to all my social media and stuff. <laughs> and they put together some cool preview videos and some stuff to put out. But I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. We recorded it here in Nashville in October. And I uh, just kind of waited for uh, different reasons to kind of put it out now. It seems like a long time ago, but they were the label I'm working with has quite a few comics. And they're, they've got projects and they're recording every single week. But yeah, I'm excited about it. It's 100% clean comedy, of course. And it's called Thinking Real Loud, which comes from one of my punchlines where I, I say something to my wife and then I tell her, and I didn't say that, but I was thinking it real loud, which I think a lot of guys do. We <laughs> Sometimes we're just staring and thinking real loud, hoping she hears it without us having to say it. But uh, it became the title of the CD, and uh, we did it. It's, it's got a fun little, the artwork is pretty cool. It's got me with you know electrodes on my head and a hospital gown and lightning bolts behind my All head. original stuff, man. Yeah, all, all the original, original stuff. Cool. And uh, do you yeah. mix some Barney Fife in there? There's there's a little Bernard Milton Fife in there in the middle, you know. Uh, every once in a while, some people have me do a little Bernard Fife. <laughs> <laughs> Got to nip it there, buddy. Nip it in the bud. <laughs> Fantastic! I got to tell you something about Barney Fife. Yeah. I just had uh, Daniel Roebuck, the actor. I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Roebuck or not, but he did. Uh, he was on Matlock. Okay. Okay. Uh, Matlock, and he did. He's done a. All kind. You, you would recognize his face, believe me. Uh, Daniel, if you're listening, I'm sorry I can't need more of your stuff. It's just not coming to me. But the thing that stands out to me is his work on Matlock. Well, that led him and I to talk about Andy Griffith, and that led him and I to talk about the Andy Griffith show. The Andy Griffith show, Rick, to me, is the perfect show. It's my desert island show. Yeah. You know that. You know that that question. Hey, if you're on a desert mm-hmm. island, what would you? What song would you have? What food would you have? What TV show would you watch? Right. It's the Andy Griffith show for me. It just makes you feel good. Yeah. It just makes you feel good. And the interaction between Andy and Barney, I don't know how many awards Don Knotts has won, but there's, there are few better comedic characters in, in entertainment than Barney Fife, man. Yeah. From the lovable, fumbling guy you just love. Yeah. It's funny. I, um, sometimes I get decked out in the whole uniform. Uh, I've got a I've got a motivational speech to do called "Don't Barney Fife Your Way Through Life," <laughs> which you know you don't want to accidentally back up into success as often as he did. You know you want to be more have a better plan than that sometimes. But uh, after that speech, uh, people come up to tell me their favorite episodes, and I've only had two people in maybe fifteen years say they couldn't stand Barney Fife. But there's a couple of them out there that just, they were so frustrated that he couldn't get it together right. that they didn't like it's him. Painful, yeah. But that's a pretty good ratio: thousands and thousands to two people. You know, right, right. Um, I got to interview his daughter recently on my episode. No kidding. Yeah. It's, uh, her name's Karen Knotts. Okay. The episode's called A Deputy's Daughter. You might check that out. She had some good stories about Don. Uh, one of the things that I remember from the interview was that I said, you know, what did you guys do for fun around the house? She said, well, he was pretty serious about studying the scripts and everything. But when they had family time, they didn't go fishing or camping. They would get out the encyclopedia, and he would say, point to any page, and they would get out the encyclopedia point to a page and then whatever was on there they would learn about it they would make up songs about it they would do a little skit about it and just be creative in the house wow and i'm like man could you imagine like if you just had the cameras rolling in the background with that that had been as good as any episode we watched probably just oh him my gosh improvising through the ideas of what was on that page you know 
Yeah. Well, I think we always we all have moments where we, we think we're cooler than we really are. Yeah, yeah. And when Barney gets busted <laughs> in those moments, those are my favorite episodes. Uh, and even just like little side things that really had nothing to do with the rest of the show, but like these little side moments, like when he's talking to Juanita down at the diner on the phone. He's, he's got that poem. He's like, I wrote a little something for you, Juanita. <laughs> Are you sitting down? Yeah, you might want to sit down. Sweet, sweet one eight from her head down to her feet. Sweet one, you know. Then Andy walks up behind, <laughs> just like taps him on the shoulder, and he flips out. He's like, "Ah, oh, is that all you got, Barn?" Yeah, pretty much covers everything. You know? <laughs> just those little moments. The preamble is one of my favorite moments. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, we, we, the people, the people, we, the people. In order, in order, you know, just bumbling you, through it. Do you remember the episode, another singing episode, interestingly enough, where where Barney was singing, but they they he was terrible. And oh, they, they put the man behind the curtain. They put the man behind the curtain and told him it was a special mm-hmm. mic. He had to sing really low. Really soft. Really yeah. soft. And the, he's singing. The look the- on his face when he hears that voice. <laughs> he is so proud. <laughs> it is fantastic. It's one of the best. It is Absolute fantastic, best. man. <laughs> So the um, I want to go back go back to this this CD. Is this your is this your first project? I think this is my tenth CD. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I was just checking out the other day and moving stuff around the garage and had this little framed frame of all my CDs in it. And there was uh, I think this is number ten. So I started in '91. So every couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's about right. And I do music. So sometimes I do a CD where it's all songs only. And then the next year, I'll do a CD of all new jokes. You did a you did a Facebook Live cold song. Oh yeah, it's it being, too cold. It's too cold. Did you enjoy that one? What is it? The the line about the frozen booger. Uh, oh, what is when it? Your boogers look like two huge chunks of jade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's on my last CD, half full. F O O L, half full. Good stuff, man. Yeah, and it's in that CD. You're talking about how comedy can do different things for you. That CD was really, I wrote that with my son. My son's 12, and probably when he was 10, we started jamming out in the in the bonus room with our guitars, and I would just write songs, and I, I thought if I could make him laugh and keep it clean, it's, it's worth doing, you know? So I didn't put anything on that CD, or really any of my CDs that he couldn't listen to, but he had a little bit of input on some of those songs. He actually fixed one of my songs for me. I, I laid it down, and kind of ran the demo for him and went out of town for a couple of shows, came back and he had a bridge put in for me that made the song totally different. No kidding. Yeah. And he's, he's got a very musical ear. Uh, he can play everything I can play on the guitar plus more big time. When it comes to Jeff Allen, we said that Jeff Allen was a, a raunchy comedian that went clean. We don't know the timing of that. Like we said, but do you know of any, any clean comedians that decided to, <laughs> Go raunchy. Go raunchy. You know, that's a good question. I, I have these nightmares on occasion <laughs> where that's me. Like, here I am doing my thing, and all of a sudden, in a moment of weakness, I just lash out. And all of a sudden, people are like, we like that a lot better. Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's my biggest nightmare. And, it's, and that's just like temptation, you know. And there's even moments. Like, I try to remove myself from any, um, you know, any show that would put me in a spot where I couldn't honor God. And but I also have to be aware there's spots where I can go to honor God that they need that that they would least expect it, and so I have to be careful of what I turn down and what I accept in that way. But I'd hate to be in the middle of a show to where it would seem the only way out would be to get dirty or get blue or to 
you know, if you got heckled by somebody, I mean, if, if somebody heckles me now, I just take a moment and we pray together over the microphone. I mean, no, yeah, no kidding. I've had two people, they were lashing out hard, but they were interrupting the show. And I said, okay, it's apparent you want to be part of the show. So I'm going to, I'm going to make it easy for you. You know, what's your name? And they tell me their name. I said, Let's pray. And so I just pray for a minute, 90 seconds. And it, the prayer sometimes has some laughs in it, but it, it lets them know I'm not going to. A couple zingers. There. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to make me stoop down to hit you with zingers that are dirty or filthy or mm-hmm. uh, it's not even going to be combative. I'm, I'm going to try to figure a way for you to figure this show out so I can keep on going with it. Right. You know, but right. I am keenly aware. I turn down many shows every year where it's like, ah, that would put me in a spot where I'm surrounded by people who, you know, they're probably just going to want dirty material and that's sure. not me. Uh, you, you obviously can be a little more overt with your faith when you're doing churches and, and faith-based mm-hmm. uh, events. How do, you, how do you intertwine your faith when you're doing secular bars and those types of places. Yeah, I find what I try to do is, is give them little glimpses into the fact that I am a Christian so that if somebody is sitting there and they've got questions maybe, that they, they feel they can approach me after the show without you know being heavy-handed. In fact, I do a lot of corporate events where they're like, I'll even ask them, I said, I always end my show with God bless you and I hope you have a good year. And you know, I said, is that going to be okay? And if they say that's not okay, I usually turn those gigs down. Because I'm going to say things throughout my show that show I'm a Christian. If that's if they're so walking on eggshells that I can't even mention my faith, not saying you have to have the same faith, right? But this is my faith because it's second nature that I'm going to say a few things like that in the show. Sure. Then I don't want to. I probably shouldn't be there, or maybe I should, and they shouldn't be there telling me that. But you know, I, you know, I talk about things I do after church on Sunday with my family. You know, I talk about uh, moments where I needed something bigger than myself and someone bigger than myself to help me through things. And those are all little indicators, I think, throughout the show when it's a secular environment that, hey, you know, this, there's a reason this guy's, there's more than one reason that he's being clean. You know, he's got a faith behind him that he's honoring. And so I, you know, I think people who may not be connected to God yet and are suspicious because you know, many Christians have failed and they fail publicly when they do very often, that they think we're all hypocrites. Um, I think if they see somebody that's being genuine and, and being faithful, to God that they're a little more likely to talk to them than somebody that's not or somebody that's inconsistent. Right. You know, and that's, that's an issue, I think, if you're a, a comedian or even a person who's coming into faith, you're still going to have moments from your old life where you still have habits you've got to erase. You have um, just day-to-day things you do that really aren't even honoring yourself, let alone God, that you've got to let go of. But that's not a next day it happens automatically thing. Right. So there's there's steps you have to take, and you'll be inconsistent for a while until you develop the new habits. Good and point. That's for on and off stage, you know. I want to talk about the business side because I want you to comment on this, Rick. Uh, I watched a video from Steve Martin several months back, maybe even a year back, where he was. Uh, I think he I was actually promoting a course he was doing. He said so many comedians come to him, and the first thing they want to know is how do I get an agent? Uh-huh. How do I get booked? And he said, the f- he's surprised how many people don't ask him, how do I be funny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants a shortcut and everybody thinks there's a secret handshake going on behind the curtains that helped you get where you got without the hard work. I, I think one of his best pieces of advice that I've heard him say is be so good. They can't deny you. Mm. Like, so when you finally hit the stage somewhere for an opportunity, you're so good. They can't say no to it. And they give you the next opportunity, but it takes a lot of hard work. It takes dedication and if you're starting comedy now or you're thinking about it you have to give up something you're doing now to make space for it 
You know, when I when I go through, I call my writing seasons when I'm trying to get new material done or a new CD full of songs, I give up sports. Mm. You know, I give up the NFL for a year. You know, it's three hours, two or three times a week that I'm not watching TV that I can go write. But if I'm watching those games, it's, it's six to nine hours each week I'm putting somebody else's career, the NFL, in front of my own. And sure, that's, you know, evenings and weekends, but those are the times when I'm creative the most when I don't have the day-to-day. That's the kind of thing that you hear on the uh, School of Laughs. Yeah, a little. <laughs> yeah, a little it is. It's behind really, the it's curtain. Yeah. That you're like, you're like, yeah, that, that's, that's life in general. I mean, I'm... Uh, people say, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to start a business. I don't have the time to start a side gig or I don't have that time to, to even incrementally f- follow my passion. This is me being transparent here. <laughs> I just, I started in December and I watched all nine seasons of the office Oh yeah, from December until <laughs> we're in, what are we? First of March uh-huh. right now. So I've got no excuse not to not to follow a passion or a, or a dream or a whatever no, it might be. But we we have those we have those things uh-huh. that we have to let go of if we want to if we want to make an impact and follow follow our passion. Yeah, you have to definitely make time for new things and and stop doing things that aren't serving you because we always gravitate towards the easy stuff. Um, I'm at a loss for the the guy's name. I'll probably remember it in a second, but he talks about. Eating the frog early in the day. Seth Godin. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's, you know, do your hardest thing first. Because if you keep doing the easy stuff, you're never going to get to the big stuff. And I've seen illustrations where people take uh, like a vase and a, almost a vase full of small rocks and one big rock. And they show like if you keep doing these little things, there's no room to put this big thing in there. Put in the big rock first and you can do all the other stuff around it. Yeah. So you have to make your, you know, the thing I have on my whiteboard right behind my desk right now is keep the main thing the main thing. You know, and right now it's creating new videos um, for demo videos to get more work, you know, in each specific niche that I do comedy in. So it's, it's nine different videos that are customized towards those groups. And it's taken some time to do it. But if I just thought I'll get that done one day, I'll be here in December, 12 months later, and it's not done. Did you ever want to throw in the towel? Oh, in comedy in general? Yeah. There was a few times where I, you know, I'll tell you a, a really special one for me. I'll tell you one that wasn't special than one that was. Okay. One that was uh, probably the low point. I was in Macon, Georgia, doing a, like a Friday, Saturday room. Maybe been a Thursday, Friday, Saturday room. And I was headlining and, of course, being billed as a clean headliner. And the two acts on the show with me were not only filthy, it was like repulsive. And then on top of that, blasphemous on top of that. Mm. So like the people that would have... The people that did come out to see me, some of them were leaving before I even got on stage because they couldn't sit through all the garbage. And then at the end of that week, to add the insult to in- injury, the um, feature act, the guy that was right before me, accidentally grabbed my envelope of money, and and I was left with his. And he never, you know, he he got in his car and headed out. And I'm sure he counted the money when he got into his car and didn't bring it back in. And then I always count my money in front of the person who pays me just so if there's a mistake, it's right here in front of us. Sure. And, and sometimes it actually would tip you and you wouldn't know that if you didn't open up the money in front of them either. So so open up the money and the guy was like, oh, uh, is it all there? I'm like, that's, that's half of what I thought I was going to get. He's like, oh, the other guy must have got your envelope. Let's try to call him. The guy never answered his phone. Weeks later, they still try to get the money from Never, never. That's how dishonest it was. Did you get paid? I just got the half. Like he said, I... I have the money on my desk. He he took the wrong. You got you got to sell that with him. 
And that was one of the few times in comedy where it ever, I mean, out of all the transactions that, that were out there, I only had like one or two like that. But that was just like a low point. I, I was doing my cleanest I stuff. I hope you're satisfied with yourself, Darren Strebler. <laughs> yeah, Darren. <laughs> hope you bought some good uh, Herbalife products with that. <laughs> uh, but that, that was a low point where there was no sunshine the next day, the next week, the next month. Now, one of the transformative low points that became a high point, I was doing a run of gigs uh, up in Ohio. I think I'd I'd done something in Des Moines, Iowa, and then I did something in Omaha, and then I came through Columbus, did a couple of nights, then was headed home. And they were mostly bar gigs and stuff, you know, a couple of corporate things sprinkled in there, but a couple of bar gigs where I just know it, I just didn't need to be there anymore. I pulled over on the side of the road on I-65 just after Bowling Green. So if you're coming down 65, headed towards Tennessee. And I just pulled over. I wasn't in tears, but I was just like, I was just exhausted, spiritually, mentally, everything. And I just prayed real quiet as cars were whizzing by. I just, you know, God, I've done comedy at that point. I think it was for 15 years, maybe, 14, 15 years. I said, there's got to be some place I can do comedy that's, you know, rewarding and that I can still do and provide for, you know, I was married at the time, just gotten married. I said, I, this, this is my skill set, but it's just not, it's not fulfilling at all. I just prayed and, and, you know, took a few minutes, and I think I did cry a little bit. I'm like, all right, I just had to say that, you know. Started driving down the road, and not even 10 minutes later, got a phone call from Lenny Sisselman, who is Darren's manager and Jeff Allen's mm-hmm. manager. And he said, Rick, uh, still doing clean comedy? I said, yeah. He said, well, they're taping this show called Bananas Family Comedy. It's a Christian TV show. It's syndicated, but they're recording it up in Columbus, Ohio, where you used to live. And we had a guy supposed to do the show next week, and I think he's not going to be able to make it too sick or something. I can't remember what the deal was. He goes, but would you feel comfortable in a Christian environment doing comedy? <laughs> and here I was 10 minutes later crying and asking God for some kind of, give me an avenue, you know. 10 minutes later, the phone rings with that opportunity. So, I, of course, I said, yes. I said, yeah, this has been on my mind a lot. <laughs> and so the next week I went up there and did that show, and – if I had any material that I thought was still, you know, the hip gyration type material or anything where I thought it wouldn't be, it wouldn't do well in a church, because that time I hadn't done any churches, then I wasn't going to do it on the show either because they'd have to edit it out. And so uh, went and recorded the show. And once the show was done, like it's going to take six or eight months before it airs, and we'll give you some DVDs to sell and all that kind of stuff. But um, that's the timeline. And in that six or seven months, I started thinking, you know. Why don't I just do that show I just did every time I go on stage? Leave out all the marginal stuff. It's you know, might get a big laugh, but it's not a, a solid laugh. And I, I'm, not the, I'm not the most brilliant comedian at all, but there, were, there are cheap, easy laughs that anybody could do. So I'm just skip those, focus on the more wholesome stuff, and see where it leads. And I think it was maybe two years after that. Two years after that is when I found out about the CCA, the Christian Comedy Association. 2008 was the first time I went to a conference. And... At that point, I realized the guy who was hosting the banana show that I did two years earlier was, the, at that time, the current president of the CCA, but he didn't even tell me about that association, and I'm not sure if that's because I was a club comic, and he thought maybe I wasn't right for it, even though I just did a Christian TV show, and I look back now, thinking that was a missed opportunity on his part to witness to me and get me into the CCA a couple years earlier and get me around people that are you know, pursuing the same thing I am now. 
So that's uh, always been a curious thing to me why he didn't mention it. Right. But you know, in 2008, Shonda Pierce asked me to come down and teach some classes to the Christian comics so that their comedy was just as good as the, the club comedians, just as tight with as many laughs and get the, the flab out of it. I think she said, you know, cut out all the junk and just get to it. And that's when my eyes were open to how many funny people there were and how many, and that's, I was on a show that weekend with Jeff Allen and uh, Joe B. Sad and uh, Thor Ramsey like, and several others. Uh, Tim Hawkins, I think, was on that show still. So I was like, wow, these are some really funny people. Yeah. And they're performing in churches too. And some did corporate events like I do too. But I thought, well, this is the way to go. Right. You know, the, the bars can, there's a million guys that could do comedy in bars. And and good for them, you know. Sometimes it's part of your your mix, and it was for me for a while to get my chops up. But I didn't have to go there anymore if I didn't want to. So that was a couple of instances where I really knew comedy was my thing, but I didn't know where to put it. Right. You know. So stepping out in faith sometimes, quiet time with God when He can hear you, and uh, I mean He's always listening. My parents' first time on a computer was this past Christmas. We got them on with a little camera so they can Skype, see their grandkids anytime they want. That's what they're supposed to use it for. Yeah, I get back home to Tennessee. My dad calls me up on the regular phone. He's like, Richard Dale, I'm about to fire off an email. Keep an eye out for it. I'm like, I will. And just so you know, you don't have to call people right before you send them an email. If you're going to text me later, how about a smoke signal? That'd be good. Maybe two, it's windy. So I go check my inbox. I can't believe my dad figured out how to set up email. But the email in there isn't coming directly from him. It's asking me if I would like to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> this isn't good for me, my dad, or Twitter, y'all. <laughs> y'all think Donald Trump's crazy on Twitter. Wait you see what my dad's got. <laughs> so I thought, okay, he's only had the computer for a couple of days. Probably just set up a Twitter feed. Let's go check it out. Well, I log on there. In two days, how many, how many tweets do you think a normal person would put out in two days? How many would y'all put out in two days? Four. Four. Yeah, that's good. Couple a day. 116 <laughs> tweets. All capital letters. No punctuation. Just running on like the Unabomber's manifesto. And zero followers. <laughs> I'm like, he's just tweeting in the breeze. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe, where did my dad get 116 thoughts, you know? <laughs> Not to be rude, but my dad's an old, quiet tobacco farmer. He doesn't, he doesn't say 116 words a week unless he eats out twice and has to order off the menu. Like, <laughs> so I start thinking, maybe this is his way of communicating. This could be good, for, you know? Maybe he's like Mark Twain on the inside. I didn't know all these years. So I started reading down through the 116 to see what kind of thoughts were going on there. And I figured out after about 10, it wasn't 116 different thoughts. Just one big story broken into 116 pieces. <laughs> it gets even worse. Whole story was about birds because my dad thought Twitter was a bird watching, updating website. <laughs> That's my gene pool. I'm lucky I'm walking. <laughs> I can't believe it. If you want to follow my dad on Twitter, please do. He's only got two followers. It's me and the Audubon Society. Uh, you can find him. It's at Nuthatcher4012618853, which is also his social security number. If you want to log him out, the password is password. <laughs> All capitals.
How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ, Rick? You know, I was raised by Southern Baptist parents and, you know, went to church since the day I can remember going to church. And, you know, it was, even when I was little, though, like I, I had so many questions because we had more fights on the, in the car on the way to church. I think that's a very common thing for Christians is the dad wants to get in the car and go. And mom's still working on her hair and the kids are running around getting their Sunday clothes all messed up or whatever. Um, I went, you know, grew up Southern Baptist and I actually remember my, my first laugh I ever got. I was the first innkeeper in the Christmas pageant. <laughs> yeah. And I had heard in church so many times that, you know, they had to put Jesus in a barn. So when they, when they got to me as the first innkeeper, I'm like, yeah, come on in. we got a room for you. You can have my room. <laughs> and the place just went crazy. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to be funny. I was trying to be a good Christian. Right. But that was in, my, uh, in kindergarten. I went to a child development kindergarten because I had a lot of speech issues. But I remember that being my first laugh. But I grew up Southern Baptist, went to, um, I think it was in junior high, started going to a Disciples of Christ church on my own. I guess it was once I could drive. I had some friends that were at that church. They had more youth events. And my parents... Uh, even though they went to church, didn't seem as interested in it, you know, for whatever reason. So I started going to the Disciples of Christ Church, and then went to a Disciples of Christ College, Bethany College, up near Ogilvy Park in West Virginia, up in the Panhandle. And, you know, was was always around Christians. In college, the, plenty of learning, uh, big learning curve in college as far as how to keep my faith. And there's so many temptations, and of mm-hmm. course, kind of fell off the map a little bit. And then, you know, after college, starting comedy was... It was a pretty empty 10 years. I got up and running, and I don't think I stepped a foot in a church for 10 years, maybe for a funeral or something. And I even lived right across from a church. The bells would ring every Sunday, and I, was, I would get mad because they were waking me up because I had gigs Saturday night and didn't get in until 2 in the morning. You know, but I never doubted God was right there waiting for me to snap out of it. Mm-hmm. But, I, boy, I was pretty out of line and pretty out of focus. Even, even though I was doing clean comedy and all that stuff, there was just— you know, the road life and all that stuff was, was bringing me down. During that time, or any time in your, in your Christian faith, had you ever um, doubted your faith or even the existence of God? No, I don't think I, you know, I don't think I ever did. Like, there's times where you just, like, you can't believe how enormous the universe is. And so, you know, I pray at night, every, every night. I'm like, you know, sometimes I get my, in the middle of my prayer, I'm just, like, overwhelmed with the fact that I'm talking to the creator of the universe. And I'm like, and I even say sometimes out loud, if I ever doubt that you create this universe, it's just because it's so incredible that it seems impossible for somebody, you know, an entity to create it. But I, mm. I'm right here with you. So there was never any doubt, but I doubted my my worthiness of that many times. Like, you know, the way I'm living, I don't deserve God, but he's he's right there waiting for you the whole time. I think it's the uh, the noise and the clutter gets so loud that you don't hear that. They always call it the still silent voice or the still quiet voice. But sometimes your life is so full of clutter, you just you don't connect, and so it really is a process of getting that out of the way so you can reconnect. How do you get that out of the way and reconnect now? Well, you know, for me, I try to start and end every day in prayer, and usually throughout the day, I'll I'll step into prayer here and there to kind of tune things in. Uh, but really, resetting my mind at night. You know, I, I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but so I've got a hot tub. And I always, I think in my brain, it's like me and Jesus in the hot tub at night. The lights are off. Everybody's in bed. I go down to suck my bones and I, I sit there and just quietly pray. And I can see the stars. 
it's just a beautiful I'm, I'm right there in his creation and i just kind of thank him for the day and kind of set the table for the next day and always in every prayer you know let me be quiet enough to hear where you want me to take this and what to do with this and where to, where to lead my family and how to do that but it's it's purposeful you know if you don't make that uh, focus every night in a habit and you can get out of that habit that's usually when you you know you disconnect so it's everyday intentional connection so important man everyday intentional connection it is and to find quiet space however you do it whether it's in a hot tub under the stars yeah. as we all do you know uh, <laughs> I, I highly recommend it <laughs> i think that's in what leviticus I'm like, it's, you know? <laughs> it's somewhere there's some hot water throughout find the bible hot tub. <laughs> yeah. but i could see uh you know wherever your special quiet place is and you know i, I still pray before meals in public and stuff yeah and i've you know the other day i was really deep in prayer maybe in five minutes and then I looked up, and the, the waitress was so patient. She had my sweet tea, and she just waited till I finished and set it down. And I, I just thought, you know, maybe in some way I was just putting a thought in her head to pray. Mm-hmm. You know, she, man, I can't remember where I was. It was just, I felt guilty for a second when I looked up, and I, I just kind of said, what are you going to do? <laughs> I right. was talking to somebody. It's pretty important. Um, but, yeah, just find those times throughout the day. Anytime something's getting you down, you know, flip it around. I struggle in the vehicle a lot, though. Yeah. I, uh. I've got a very short fuse in the, in the, nobody knows how to drive but me. I know. It's so, oh, it's so irritating <laughs> to the point where I, sometimes I'll drive separate to church. <laughs> it's seven minutes away and I'm like, you know what? They'll, they'll be better if they just go on right now. <laughs> no doubt. And that's true. That's true. That's funny, man. One last question for you. What would you say to that person that is right on faith's edge, making that choice to believe or not to believe in God? Well, I mean, I, I could tell you a lot of different things. I would, I'd first start off by, A, what do you have to lose by taking that leap of faith and, and trying to walk that path that Christ laid out for us as an example? Uh, there will be nothing negative that comes out of doing that. And I, I don't know if that sounds cultish to somebody who's an atheist, but you know, he really laid out a very simple path for us. And it, it, one of my biggest frustrations as, as a Christian is how complex we make it sometimes. I mean, follow the Ten Commandments, do unto others as you'd have them do to you, you know, clear your mind of evil thoughts, and that, that can be difficult, but it's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. So my first step, if you're on face edge and you're thinking, you know, can I do this? Give it a try. Create some new habits. Create quiet time in prayer. If you don't know how to pray, that's okay. You know, whatever your conversation with God would be, that's your prayer. You know, thank Him. Ask for forgiveness for the things that aren't going right. Ask for clarity. And that's something that every night I pray for, clarity. Mm. I'm doing a lot of things, but which one is the thing you want me to do best? You know, which, which should I spend the most time on? And if you're quiet and you listen, you'll, you'll hear things in your heart. You might not hear the voice, the thunderous voice of God, um, but you'll, you'll know. You'll know the right thing you should do, the thing you should pursue, and you obviously will know what you should give up. I think whether you're an atheist or a Christian or non-believer or somebody that left and never came back, you know when you're doing the right thing and when you're doing the wrong. Uh, the thing is to have the quiet clarity to kind of define what that is and take those steps. And, and ask, you know, you may be, here's I guess what might be the toughest thing, is you may be surrounded by atheists only. You might be in a group of people where nobody believes. And so you don't have somebody that you can kind of ask questions to. Uh, there's a ton of great 
you know, again, you're listening to podcasts now. I would start listening to Andy Stanley. Mm. He's got you know some podcasts on leadership, but in each of those kind of businessy podcasts, he'll start outlining some Christian uh, guideposts for you as well. I mean, there's a million. I think Christian podcasts are, are the biggest category. I think. If oh I'm, yeah, if absolutely. What I'm, what I'm hearing is correct. So, you know, find somebody you can listen to. Keep listening to this show. You know, listen to people who were where you are now, not sure, and and find out how they got over that hump and and started heading the right direction. Uh, there's nothing to lose. There's everything to gain by having that relationship with God. And I think if you do that for a while, you'll start seeing things clean up in your life, clear out. The right people will start being attracted to you. The right uh, mentors, the right coworkers, the right clients, all those things. And you'll probably at some point, not too far down the road, realize that you're starting to be an inspiration to somebody else. Like they'll notice, they should notice a change in you. You know, you don't have to put on a face or put on an act. Just do what you feel God is calling you to do and they're going to notice. And then when they ask you why you're doing this, share with them what you just did and help them get past their, their wall of disbelief. I don't think we can say anything more than that. Rick Roberts, comedian extraordinaire. Thank you. <laughs> teacher of comedians. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh, I had a blast. I appreciate I'm it. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. God Jeff. bless you. you Rick's website is rickroberts.com. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and his YouTube channel. All of these links and more are in today's show notes at onfaithsedge.com slash 99. That's onfaithsedge.com slash 99. Well, that'll wrap up today's show. Thank you, Rick Roberts, for being with us, and thank you for listening. You mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to this show. Remember, God is real. He loves you, and so do I. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Faith's Edge. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher Internet Radio, or your favorite podcast app on Android, Apple, or Windows devices. To reach out to Joe or leave comments about the show, visit onfaithsedge.com. You're important to us, and we would love to hear from you. Well, greetings, Joe Taylor from Mayberry RFD. This is Bernard Milton Fife wishing you a congratulations on your 100th episode. You don't look a day over 60 episodes. I know you're still getting around pretty good with that walker and all that, but 100 episodes. Did you ever think it would get to this? That's uh, 10 times 10. That's 5 times 20. That's 20 times 5. Is Three times 33 and a half. You get the picture. Way to go, Joe.